excited. So again, pick up the flyer. American flags are all out there at Guest Central. We really would love to have you as a part of that. It starts, be out there at 945. It'll be over by 1030. All right. So just come join us if you want to be a part of that. And uh, we're very, very excited about that opportunity. All right. Well, you've heard it said that you should not pray for patience. Have you heard that? Because if you pray for patience, God is going to give you many opportunities to practice that, right? Well, let me tell you what not to do as well. Don't announce that you are actually going to be doing a message on conflict resolution, all right? Because if, you do, if you're going to be doing a message on conflict resolution, guess what's going to show up as an opportunity in your life from the time it was announced until you actually give this message? That means lots of conflict has been coming my way over the last month or so as I knew I was getting ready for this. But nevertheless, today we continue in our marriage series, and we're going to be talking about conflict resolution in our relationships, certainly in our marriages, but absolutely in all of our relationships. Every point that you're going to hear today is going to also deal with the idea of any conflict that you might have with anyone in your life. And so as we do this, I want to introduce you to my wife on screen. This is my wife, Jennifer, and I. You guys don't see her a lot. Uh, She really prefers to be behind the scenes. She works out here at Guest Central. But here's what you need to know. If I kiss someone on the lips in this congregation, that is my wife, all right? I need you to understand that. I don't greet anyone else with a holy kiss. My daughters get kisses on the head. So if you see me do that, that's my daughter's. But uh, if I'm kissing someone on the lips, it's this lady right here. So uh, I want you to know who she is because this, uh, there's been many opportunities that we've had the opportunity to practice conflict resolution in our relationship. Our relationships are all filled with broken people. Am I talking to the right audience this morning? We're all broken. Every single one of us are broken. And we're going to talk about that today. This is, um, this is my family my two daughters, Kara and Allison, along with my two sons-in-law. I don't call them sons-in-law, though. They're my sons. I love them dearly, and I love my daughters. And uh, sons-in-law come with marriages, and let me just tell you, that's a great thing. It also leads to emptiness. That's an even greater thing. We'll just talk about all those things. But I love my family. And uh, everything that I have done over the last, that Jennifer and I have been a part of, has been building into. These, these, this is my legacy that you're seeing, along with you, but that's, that's my legacy and my family. Now, the next picture is a picture I want you to really pay attention to. These are two people who have no idea what they're getting into, all right? 1993, I'm really working hard to get back to that weight again, and it's a fight and a battle, let me just tell you. But that young lady in that picture, I need you to understand, she had no idea what she was getting into me, all right? I was, I'm a handful, that's all I'm going to say. I think my mother was really happy to pass the keys off to her, if you know what I'm saying. Because if you don't know me very well, this gives you a little bit of idea what she got got herself into, all right? This is my Lord of the Rings picture, as I sought to be Lord of the Rings, all right? So uh, that is a tiara, but I pulled it down a little bit so that I could be like Mr. Lord of the Rings with my sword and everything. I really do have a sword, That's a whole other thing entirely, all right? And then many of you have seen this in the past, right here, yeah. So this is my elf picture. Sometimes he shows up around Christmas, we just never really know. But that young lady in that picture got this. 
And our first year of marriage was actually quite difficult. I thought it was awesome and amazing because I had someone to talk to and play with 24 hours a day. My wife cried most of her first year of marriage, and I'm not kidding you. I could not figure out what I had done wrong. It was just the fact that I was present in her face all the time, all right? Uh, we, we describe ourselves, she's Winnie the Pooh. Sometimes we've classified her as Eeyore just because things are, are, are you know, a little difficult sometimes around the house or uh, problems come her way. I am Tigger like 199%. I'm Tigger. She often gets asked, is he like this all the time? She says, you have no idea. 24-7, he wakes up with that amount of energy. I do not go to bed with that amount of energy. I am an early morning guy, not a late night person. But our first year of marriage was difficult because I love being around people. I get energy from people. And people drain her. And I was one of those people <laughs> who drained her big time. But we are very, very different. Matter of fact, one time, by the way, our couple assessment that we're doing called the couple checkup that you can go to eaglesview.church backslash events and you can either sign up for our marriage conference or you can just do the assessment from that page as well and you get a couple's report about your relationship and we did this early on in our marriage. We also did another assessment and then we met with an individual counselor and he would take us through the results of that particular assessment and here's what he said. He said, if in any category you're more than 40 points removed from one another, that is a significant area of your relationship that you should work on. Jennifer and I were more than 40 points removed in every category on that assessment. Every single one. And some of them we were 80 points removed. That counselor looked at us and said this, your relationship is only here by the grace of God. <laughs> now when a counselor tells you that, and you've only been married for like four years, you begin to wonder if you're going to make it to 29. But to the glory of God, we have made it to 29 and are working on the 30th, all right? So we're working on that. But what I'm trying to tell you is we are, I mean, drastically, drastically different from one another. And the way that we handle conflict together, we are both passive-aggressive conflict people, which means you're going to be Oh, well, I'm going to be even more quiet. You're ignoring me. You won't even know that I'm ignoring you because I'm going to be outside the house doing something else because there's also something in our home that we live by, and that is this. If you're going to play, play to win, all right? That is, that is the mantra in our house. Our daughters have learned it, and they are winners, all right? They are winners. But here's the thing I need you to understand. When you're passive-aggressive and you always like to win, that is not a good combination. So sometimes we would go more than a week. We would talk to one another, but it was not really, it's a little icy in our home. Let me just put it that way. Because we both like to win, and we don't love to deal with conflict. So why in the world am I doing a message on conflict? Because we had to learn to get out of those patterns. Because you see, every marriage and every relationship is the combination of two broken people, as I said earlier. And so these principles I'm going to teach you today, these work with any relationship, but they are heightened and very magnified in the idea of a relationship. But here's what I want us to do. I'm going to take us back to the beginning. If you've never camped out in Genesis chapter 3, then I would tell you, you don't really understand who you're made up 
and who you started off to be. Because in in Genesis chapter 3, we discover the fall. As man and woman, Adam and Eve, are in the garden, God has given them one instruction. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now later, that would become much greater for us. There's actually 365 different commandments that we are to uh, live our lives by. You just thought there were 10. No, there's 365 in the Old Testament But at this point in time, Adam and Eve only had one. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you do so, you will surely die. Now, it's not a physical death that they they encountered. It was a spiritual death, separation between God and humanity. For the very first time, they were experiencing this. And I'm going to take you back to the foundation of this, because here's what I want to ask us. How do we move from a relationship destroyer, conflict, that was instigated by Satan himself, or I'm going to show you that. How do we move from it being a a relationship destroyer toward a relational bond that God redeemed conflict to be? You see, God redeems conflict to actually be something that will unite us. And I know you cannot fathom that as you think about some of the recent arguments that you likely have had. But God created this to bring our relationships together, and I want to take us through that. We're going back to the foundation of Genesis chapter 3. The first thing I want you to see is you've got to know where conflict has come from. Genesis 3 verse 8 tells us this. The first thing we understand about our conflict, and I'm going to mention these multiple times, is that shame enters the issue of our conflict. Genesis 3 verse 8 says this. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, put yourself there, Garden of Eden, paradise, and the cool evening breezes have, are blowing. Have you not loved August this year? It feels like May, does it not? Now, I'm sure it's probably going to get hot again. I don't know whether it will or not, but this August, those cool breezes are blowing in the nighttime as sun is setting, and it brings me back to this verse. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord said to them, said to the man, where are you? See, this is shame entering into the relationships of Adam and Eve and onto the stage for us all. Shame. Listen to that question that God asked. Where are you? That is the same question that he is asking of you today. If you don't have a relationship with him, or even if you do, and you have fallen, you've gotten away from God, here's what he asks of us. Where are you? See, that's the broken heart of a creator God who wants so to have a relationship with us that is connected, and we chose to be separate from him. And we are sad and shameful about that. So what do we do? We hide. In your relationships and in your conflict, I want you to begin to think about where are the places you hide? What's the shame that you feel? What's the mistakes in your life that you have made that it makes it difficult for you to face your wife, your husband, your kids, because there's shame that surrounds decisions that you have made? That is an instigation of Satan himself as he brought shame towards us. Number two, fear. Fear is in our relationships. Genesis 3.9, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid because I was afraid, because I was naked. 
You see, Adam had never realized he was naked before because he had no shame. But now he realizes he is unclothed and it has brought shame. He is hiding. Where in your past do you experience fear? What brings fear upon you? That goes into the makeup of conflict in our life. So you're going to see that over and over again. The third one, blame. It's not my fault. It's their fault. Do you see what I'm saying? That's where conflict emerges, and it emerged right here in the garden. Genesis 3, verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman that you gave me. Men, can we get a hearty amen? Okay, you don't know what the world you're talking about. All right, so Adam says this, it was the woman you gave me. He blames Eve. It was the woman you gave me. He blames God. You gave me Eve, and God, you're the one who did it. Adam shifts from personal responsibility. See, every time I do a wedding, I, <clears throat> I almost always quote Luke 9.23 to the men. Then God, then Jesus said to all of his disciples who were joining him, you must take up your cross, die to yourself, take up the cross daily in this, in this life. Men, here's the thing. As I talked about my passive aggressiveness, here's what I learned. What it means to be the leader in a relationship means this, men. I call upon you. You and I must die first. That's what it means to lead. Not to tell somebody what to do. It means that you choose, willingly, to die to yourself first. And so, so as I thought about that in this idea of relationships, men, we are called to begin the process. So if our passive aggressiveness or if we're leakers or if we're yellers, whatever we are, it means that we die first. And we start to, to take personal responsibility. But it wasn't just Adam. Eve also did this. She blamed the serpent, verse 13, then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, and that's why I ate it. Blame, fear, and shame. When you see these things foundationally in you, you need to understand where they came from. They came from the foundation of this world. They came from the foundation of the first man and woman, and we are still facing the consequences. If Adam and Eve had known the consequences of their spiritual death would mean that today eight and a half billion people on this planet are separated from God because of their choice. What did I just do? I blame them. But it's really me. It's really my choice if I'm going to be separated from God. Look for these patterns. I'm going to bring that up as we go throughout. So Eve blamed the serpent. These are patterns that we see in all of our human reactions and interactions. Shame, fear, and blame. When we see this now as a part of our conflict, we need to, our ears need to, to come attentive and we need to know what we're actually doing. And we also need to acknowledge this morning who the participants are in our conflict. Well, of course, the pers- our, ourselves and the relationship that we're in, they're part of the conflict, but there are other players. The first one is Satan himself, the serpent. Look at Genesis 3.15. He is our enemy. God says to the serpent as part of the curse upon him, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, which is Jesus Christ is her offspring. He will strike your head a death blow to Satan himself, 
and you will strike at his heels. This is what Satan does. He is in your relationships. He is in this process because he's been here from the foundation of this issue of conflict. And God said part of the curse is that there will be hostility between you and humankind. And here's what Satan seeks to do. Satan is always trying to draw you away from being on God's team to come being on his team. Satan's only respite in this world is to get more people attracted to himself than what is on God's team. Do you understand? That is his mode of operation. Let me show it to you. John 10.10 says this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy And my purpose, God says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You and I need to identify that Satan is at the very heart of most of the issues that we face in our conflict. And we need to identify him. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the father of lies and he is a liar. And if you and I don't realize that in our conflict and acknowledge it, As one of my mentors has taught me, to grab the thistle, to do the hard things, to actually grab it out of your life. Just like as you think about getting a splinter in your hand, you can let it sit there and fester, or you can go after it. And going after it is going to be painful. But if you don't, infection sets in. And the infection continues to build upon our relationships. If we don't acknowledge and address the conflict in our lives, It's going to lead to infection, and sometimes it's irreparable. Not only is Satan involved in our conflict, but our flesh is involved. Eve helps us see this. God says to Eve, part of your curse, Genesis 3.16, you will desire, and that's the key word, you will desire your flesh, your sin nature. You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Eve's desire helps identify that not only Satan involved in our conflict, but my own flesh. I want to win. I desire. So that means my flesh is involved. Adam shows us something different. Genesis 3.17, all your life, God says to him as part of the curse, you will struggle. What this means is Adam had aspirations for his life. He had expectations that he had in store for his life and existence. And God says, you will struggle because of your own aspirations. James chapter 4 talks about this very specifically in our conflict. Listen to what verse 1 and 2 says of James 4. What is causing quarreling and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires? Remember that? that are at war within you. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. And if that doesn't describe conflict in our marriages and relationships, I don't know what does. So we need to recognize the participants, the enemy himself, our flesh, and our aspirations that we have. Now, that's the foundation. So what do we do with this? Let's ask this question. What good can come from conflict? See, first thing that we need to see here is conflict is a symptom of deeper issues in our relationship, right? 
conflict shows us where some of the deeper issues actually are, but you make a choice. The conflict and struggle are the symptoms that help us to realize the pitfalls that are already established in our relationship. They lead us to make significant changes that are necessary for our growth. Without it, we would just live in status quo relationships. And you want to know what status quo is? It simply is this. I go along to get along. You see, if we don't address the issues of conflict, we're not going to see that those issues of conflict are just deeper symptoms, or they are symptoms of what's really going on that's deeper in our life. I have a great illustration of this. Uh, I haven't talked about this much, but back in March, you need to understand that my heart history in my family is horrific. My sisters had uh, multiple bypass surgery. My father had multiple bypass surgery. My mother had heart issues. Both maternal and paternal grandparents have heart issues. That is my heredity, okay? When I was about 30 years old, I recognized this. My father had had a global heart attack. Was not, did not, they did not think he would survive it. Um, he had six bypasses after that. He did survive it. But nevertheless, I saw some patterns in my life that were there for my heredity that I had better begin to address. So I began to do that, started working out, started trying to eat better and all those other things when I was 30. And when I got to be 54 this year, I started thinking about, I've never had a baseline check to check some of those things. So I went to have a calcium score. Had three arteries that were appearing to be in great shape and had one known as the Widowmaker artery that might have some problems. So they sent me to a cardiologist. The symptoms are starting to show up of the deeper issues that are going on. I go to my cardiologist. Jennifer goes with me, and we start talking about the artery issues. He says this, are there any other things that you're experiencing? Now, Jennifer's in the room, but she doesn't. I have never shared this before. I said, well, you know, there's a lot of times at night that I feel like my heart just kind of flutters some Uh, I thought it was just asthma. Jennifer's looking at me like, you've never talked to me about this. So now I'm in trouble. He said, well, I want you to monitor. So I'm going to encourage you to get an iPhone watch um, because it it monitors this particular, because it sounds like you might be dealing with AFib. Um, I looked at my wife, whom I had bought an iWatch for her about a year and a half earlier and always asked for one and never received it. And I said, is it okay if I get an iWatch now? Is that okay? She goes, yes. So I monitor it. And sure enough, within the first couple of weeks, it it helped me to see I have AFib. And so now I've got an even deeper symptom. I went in for one thing. Now I found out I have something else that I've got to deal with. Now I made a choice at that point. I could ignore this, perhaps die younger than maybe what God had intended, or I could deal with the issues that this had brought up. And I went in after the issues. Remember, I like competition. Now I'm competing against my own heart to see who can win, all right? That's not necessarily smart, but nevertheless, I do. He said, you know, you can stay on medication all your life or you can have a surgery. I said, let's go for the surgery. Let's do this. So June 30th, I had a surgery. Uh, I haven't talked a lot about this. But um, again, for heart surgery, it's minor. But I always say they're dealing in your ticker. So that means it's kind of major, right? But see, I had a choice. I could go in after the symptom that this had realized, or I could ignore it. And the same thing is happening in every one of the relationships that are going on in this room right now. 
You can ignore the deeper symptoms, but there's going to be problems that arise. Every day our marriages and relationships are sending us symptoms of issues in our life called conflict. And we can choose to ignore them or we can address it, but the end result, if we choose to ignore, will be the detriment of ourselves and our relationships. And here's the sad thing, reality. If you choose not to deal with it, some of your relationships will never recover. They'll never recover. You see, it's a choice we have to make if we're going to deal with this. There are good things that come as a result of conflict. The second is this. Conflict brings growth. Listen to James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when any troubles of any kind, conflict, come your way, Consider an opportunity for great joy. Don't you feel that? When you have conflict with your spouse, don't you feel great joy? What is God saying? You want to go, what's the cruel joke here, right? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance of the test is a chance for you to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Are you hearing what it's saying? You can choose to step towards the conflict and work it through. And by doing so, your character is developed. A phenomenal book that we've mentioned before, Sacred Marriage. And the premise of this book is God did not create your marriages to make you happy but to make you holy. And here's how that process works. The author Gary Thomas says this, marriage is the laboratory through which your rough edges of your character are honed away by your spouse. And what's left looks more and more like the character of Jesus Christ and less like the character of our enemy who wants to draw you to his side. Amen? That's what marriage is about. It's a laboratory where we grow. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so your relationships sharpen you. Now listen, that sounds really good, but imagine two axes that you're honing against each other and those blades that are taking place in your life. That's, ladies and gentlemen, what we call friction, and that is not a fun process But the end result is that you and I get sharper. Our character begins to look more like Jesus Christ and less like our enemy, Satan himself. Conflict brings growth. Now, the next principle that I want to share with you as we begin to understand this idea of conflict, I learned in college, and when I heard it in class that very first time, it was in a small group dynamics class, and I heard about this communication principle And I went, I'm going to use that for the rest of my life. And it's called the relation, or I'm calling it the relationship communication perspective. Will help me with an illustration of this. And by the way, uh, can we go ahead and go to that, Linda? There we go. So ladies, you're going to notice that uh, there are different holes in these bowls and that there are bigger holes in the female than the male. Will Welch created this. All right, I just want to remind you of that. I did not create that. But here's the thing. 
As we are born, we are created as whole bowls. And every situation in your life puts a hole in your bowl. If you grew up in an alcoholic home where your mother or father was an alcoholic, that put holes in your bowl. If you went through situations in your childhood, you were bullied, you were hurt, um, you went through trauma, you lost a parent, you lost a grandparent, whatever situations you go through puts holes in your bowl. And then what happens is in marriage, we bring the bowls together. So now we have a common experience called marriage, and yet what's produced in us, we go through the same situation, the birth of our children, the life of our children, struggles, financial hardships, but here's the problem. What we get from those, we process information differently. Why? Because your holes and your spouse's holes or any relationship you're in are different. So as the common experience goes through us, what's produced is very different. And the goal of conflict resolution is to help understand and perceive what those differences are. And I would almost guarantee you they emanate from blame, fear, and shame. There were things that happened to you in your life that brought you shame, and it was painful. And you process conflict through that same lens. And if you don't realize that, you're not going to be able to identify and see it in your spouse. If you don't talk to your spouse about those things that put holes in your bowl, you're never going to understand how they're processing the same experience differently than you. Where in your life do you see shame, blame, and fear? That's what's going to help you open your life to this. My good friend Jimmy McLeod, who's been a personal counselor and a personal friend to me at many times in my life, says this, the mind and the parachute are very similar. They only work properly when they are open. A parachute only works when it's open. If not, we hit the ground. And if your mind is not open in dealing with your conflict or dealing with your own issues that put holes in your bowl, you're not going to recognize that you're hitting the ground. We've got to open our minds to this area of conflict. All right, let me land this plane today with some very practical things that I want you to take away from this today. So now, if you do the couple checkup, you're going to get a little workbook as you get results about your marriage. You're going to get some results, and one of the results are some of the things I'm going to share with you today. So they're going to be there for you, but I learned this through working with couples over the last 30 years um, and learned this from what we call Prepare and Rich or the Couple Checkup. So what is a pathway to deal with conflict. I'm going to deal with it from a spiritual foundational side and also from very practically as we finish this today. What about the foundational side? Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus Christ, if you don't like what I'm getting ready to say, Jesus said it. Blame him. Don't blame me. All right? But this is how we should deal with conflict. Now, the setting for this is two Christian people. So if you want to go and deal with conflict, some of the principles relate. If it's somebody at your work that you're having conflict with, some of these relate and some of them may not. Understand this is a desire for two Christians because the goal of this is to bring back unity 
in the body of Christ and in your relationships with people. So the principles are going to be similar, but they may, um, they may have different effects depending on the relationship that you're talking about. So here's what, Matt, what Jesus says in Matthew 18. If another believer sins against you, listen, what does it say? Go to everybody? Is that what it says? Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it to you, you have won the person back. Probably more than any point in this process, this is it. Do not go to everybody else and talk about the problem instead of going to the one person. Amen? That's what this is designed to be. Many times what I'm called upon to do, and when Bart has said that I deal with conflict in this way, because I go after the thistle, and when I see conflict in the body, I'm going to bring those parties together, and I'm going to say, you guys need to deal with this together, because that's a biblical expression. It's not to tell everybody else. This does not mean go and tell all your friends. This does not mean that you go and put it on Facebook and get a poll of your friends of what you should do. Okay, That is not what's happening here. This is not about going to your parents, because let me explain to you what happens when you go to your parents with your problems and your relationships. Your parents will naturally forgive you. They will not as naturally forgive your spouse. And so you may do irreparable harm to your spouse and your mother and dad or whoever in your relationship. You may do irreparable damage when you should have just gone to the person, your spouse or the person you're having conflict with. That is something that you have got to get and to understand when dealing conflict. Number two, what does Jesus say? But if you are unsuccessful, it's like Jesus knew that that might not work the first time. All right? As you go through this, as I go through this, sometimes it doesn't exactly fix when I go to them individually. What does Jesus say? Take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. This is what we would call seek neutral mediation. This is where a counselor, a pastor, a Christian friend who is neutral, all right, that's important, somebody that's outside the situation that can give you the different perspectives. In other words, somebody else can come in and find the issues of blame, fear, and shame that are residing in your life that might be clouding your view of this process that's happening. What else? After we seek neutral mediation, Jesus says this, if the person still refuses to listen, Take your case to the church. What is he saying? Seek godly, centered community assistance. What that simply means is, this is why life groups are so important, that people who love us unconditionally come around us to say, let's stay here till we get this figured out. Let me be involved in your life. Let's see what the rough edges are. Now, hopefully you can deal this with just you and your spouse, but the whole idea is there's a godly-centered community. And then what does he say? Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat this person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. And all God's people said, amen. Let me go to point four, okay? I want to treat my spouse as a pagan or tax collector. What is Jesus really saying? Do you remember who the pagans and tax collectors were in Jesus' band? Like Matthew? You love them. You love people unconditionally. So what Jesus is saying, you work through this process, but at the end of it, you continue to reach out to them as a person that I love and that you should love as well. So that's the foundational spiritual side of conflict resolution. But there's some practical things I want to finish with today. Again, these are, these are available in our couple checkup if you want to look at it, but 
here, here are the things. First of all, what do you do? I've noticed blame, fear, shame in my own life. It's, it's, it's in my conflict. What do I do? The first thing is we identify and define the problem together. What's the point of conflict that we see? This is the great point for you to begin to realize yourself. What's my, what are my issues of shame, blame, or fear that I've brought into this relationship? How am I processing this conflict because of all the stuff I've been through? And if you're acknowledging that and your spouse is acknowledging that, you're beginning to see. This is, we need to define what the issue is before we ever do anything with it. The second is this. Ask how each of you contributed to that problem that you're going through, to that conflict that's created. Now, if you come up with 10 ways that you've contributed and your spouse comes up with zero, that's not the goal, all right? It is that both of you are honest with all of the things that you've gone through and what you've experienced, and this is why we're processing this differently, and I'm acknowledging I'm in this with you. This is called personal responsibility and personal ownership to the conflict that's happening. Number three, brainstorm potential solutions. What are some ways that we can begin to work in and through this particular conflict? What am I learning about myself that I need to change? And as you list those, here's what you do next. You choose one of those. Choose one of the solutions that you guys have talked about and begin to try to implement that. Why only one solution? Because you can't fix 10 things at once. Choose one and how you're going to begin to process that. And then you finish with simply this. Ask how each of you will contribute to that solution. What is that doing? You took personal responsibility for the problem earlier. Now you're taking personal responsibility for the solution. How am I going to put this solution in place? Conflict resolution identifies the areas of growth that need to happen in our character. And we can ignore it or we can grab the thistle, do the hard things, and in doing so, we grow. Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, they were in an interview. Um, They'd been married for 35 years and they did this public interview. And most of it centered on Billy, I'm sure, and their life and all of his work and how he had literally preached to millions of people on the planet. And then they came to Ruth. And and they they asked her, you know, they simply said, did you ever think about divorce because you two are so different? And she said this, no, no. I've never thought about divorce in our 35 years of marriage, but I've thought about murder many times. (laughs) That's what she said. But then what she said next is really the key. A happy marriage is a union of two forgivers. See, it's all about forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. Ephesians 4.12, listen to this as we close. Excuse me, 4.32. Ephesians 4.32. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. On what basis? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. 
And here's what I would say to us today. Have you ever come to that place in your life where you've allowed Christ to forgive you? Because here's the truth. You're not going to be able to forgive your spouse and work through conflict if you've not realized first that you are loved unconditionally by God. See, it begins by receiving forgiveness because only those who are forgiven can give forgiveness. Folks, we have to work through our conflict. Why? Because we can ignore it and go through status quo relationships or we can recognize it and go in after it and deal with it and the infection is removed. And we, we find ourselves being forgivers of one another. Would you pray with me this morning? Listen, you may be here today and you found it very hard to forgive. I want to ask you this question. It's the question that God asked of Adam. Where are you? God asked us this. I want to be in a relationship with you. Where are you? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never asked him to forgive you, why not today? Why not yield to him and be forgiven? so that you can begin to forgive your spouse and forgive those who've entered into conflict with you. Father, today I simply ask that your Holy Spirit would do his work in us. God, I, I pray that, Lord, he would do the convicting. That's not our job. But that, God, you would make a difference in each one of us and bring us to yourself. You ask us, where are we? Lord, may we unbear the shame. May we realize we're afraid not to be, to, we're afraid to be in your holy presence. And may we receive you because of the entrance you give us through your son. Father, would you be glorified in that today? And Lord, as we... As we make choices today, not to live status quo relationships and go along to get along, but may we deal with the conflict and may the result be that our marriages and our relationships are so radically different that the world takes notice and knows it's not us, but it's you. Would you be glorified in that obedience today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.